Hey everyone, welcome to episode 9 of Cup of Cold Solder, the show where we talk about all things electronics and anything else that piques our interest. I'm Matt Sego. And I'm Daniel Ansari. And I'm Dustin Tish. And Yeah, so Dustin Tish is on with us today. He is our, what do you call yourself, our lab manager. Lab manager, I think for, is the term that I go by. For the research lab, all of us are in. Um, and today we're going to kind of talk about the, the Hermes project, I guess. Um, and so Dustin has been heading that up for quite a while now, actually. Um, and, and he can talk about, uh, well, first we'll talk about like what the project is, how it got started, um, who initially worked on it. Um, and then we'll go into what he's done on it and what it is and all that good stuff. So if you just want to talk about first what it is and what it's for. Yeah. So Hermes is a project that we're working on through a local company, T-Star, that is contracted by NASA. And so... We're working with the Ares group at NASA who does geology. They work in astro materials, specifically regolith, which is a term I like to throw around a lot because 90% of people don't know what it means. Uh, just space dirt. It's what asteroids are made of. It's what the moon's made of. Just It's just space dirt. And so what they want to do is be able to see how that stuff interacts with itself in microgravity or really zero g but microgravity is a very close thing that is essentially zero g um on earth there's no cheap effective way to do that so you have the towers that are in i think they're in huntsville alabama that are just really tall they're like 400 foot towers that are really skinny and they completely vacuum seal it so you don't have any air resistance and you just drop it and it's essentially a free fall but since there's no air resistance it simulates zero g and then there's the parabolic flight the vomit comet is what they call it hmm. neither one of those are cheap and neither one of those lasts for a long time so i've been working on a project that we're going to send up to the international space station in less than three days hopefully unless it gets pushed more um and that's on which flight spacex 17 spacex 17 all yes right. real early in the morning i think it's like a i think it's 455 eastern time so 355 here so and where geologically does it launch from uh cape canaveral oh okay yeah and yeah so we've built a f system that will go up to the iss for at least five years and so that'll be able to give experiments extended periods of time to test in microgravity so the facility has four different channels is what we call it where there can be it can house four different experiments to test this regolith and see how it reacts in microgravity so there's different kinds of experience they've got different kinds of simulant that they want to test different things with and so there's a lot of different things we can do with the experiments we can take pictures of them turn lighting on they have little Entrapolators is what they call them. They're it's a made-up term from UCF. They're <laughs> essentially scissor lifts that just compact the dirt and release the dirt in like a little tube. Yes, it's all inside this little. It's like a 12-inch tube that has like a. Uh, I would say it's probably a two-inch radius, two or three-inch radius, or diameter, not radius. Yeah. Um. And they just want to see how it reacts. We've got a lot of different monitoring we can do with it. We can. Um, any kind of analog ins, digital ins, digital outs. We can low side switch different actuators that you want inside the device. We can control motors in it. 
really anything you want. It's built to be modular so that the experiments can be interchanged every so often so that new experiments can go up and we don't have to send the entire facility up every time. So that's pretty much the overview on Hermes. Okay. And then, so I think in, uh, maybe in previous podcasts, maybe, maybe not, we've talked about how, um, we've talked a little bit about ESA MXCT. Um, we've talked about how we have fairly extensive capstone, um, projects, um, and this started out as a capstone project, correct? Yes. So there was a group of five students that all at one point worked in missile with us. They were kind of the generation right before we came in. Yeah. And, um, and one of them was the previous lab manager. Yes. So I'm the follower of him. <laughs> they actually called us the follow team for a while there before we had a name. And I mean, yeah, they were to this point. I think it's still the most vigorous capstone that has gone through ESET for sure, and I would argue any Texas A&M engineering, just because mm. of the scope of how our capstone is more rigorous than any other capstones in the engineering program. So what? Um, so this is all part of a fairly large system. What part was their capstone um, as opposed to what you've implemented since then? So their two main hardware boxes in the entire ISS locker that we're in. There's the Hermes electronics box, which is really the stuff that controls the facility that is permanent in the box. It stays there. And then there's the cassette intelligence system, which is changed out with new experiments. So they were really in charge of the majority of the HEB, the Hermes intelligence or Hermes electronics box. Uh, sorry, I just so many acronyms with this project. <laughs> it's insane. Um, so they controlled all the, they designed everything for the communications, power, control, pictures, lights, all that kind of stuff for the facility. And so they're, they were in charge of the, I don't know what the correct, I guess is a prototype is what it was. And so their project was to make the prototype to prove it could be done and prove I guess really get approved for NASA to fund the actual project and so once that was completed me and two other missile workers were tasked with taking their prototype and turning it into a final product and that included adding a V-I-S, and the V in V-I-S stands for V-R-S. So this is, we're... Sub-acronyms. We're sub-acronyming. <laughs> this is how bad it is in this project. And so this just controls all the vacuum for the experiment, so we can vacuum seal all the experiments. And if they sprung a leak, we would be able to pull, continuously pull vacuum to keep them at vacuum. Um, and then I was also in charge of building the entire cassette intelligence system. So all the electronic specific to each experiment all the different analog ends digital ios low side switches h bridges that go to each experiment that's what i was really in charge of sweet what would you say um so you mentioned three people were working on it post yes. the capstone project what was kind of you mentioned a little bit about your role what were the other two roles so i was mainly the hardware fit checking making sure everything got in the box we had Luis, who was our RTOS specialist, so he wrote a lot of embedded C code in TI RTOS to run on our 
let me count one, two, three, four, six microcontrollers that are in the system. And then we had Jeremy, who is our mainly our Linux and Python guy for the system. They were our two software, and then I was mainly the hardware guy. Gotcha. And Daniel, you helped with this at one point, did you not? Yeah, uh, when Jeremy was not experienced. So I came into this project doing um, mostly Linux software stuff. Um, and I think at the time, Jeremy had no experience with Linux stuff in at all. Really? I remember teaching him like LS. Because he's gotten quite good since then. Though. Yeah, he's, he got, wow. he picks that stuff up fast, it's... like incredibly fast. Because he essentially made a GUI, right? Sort of kind of. Yeah. But that wasn't in Linux. But oh, like whatever. the programming behind that, that was in um, Visual Basic Script, I believe. Do you oh, know? Really? Uh, it was all through Excel. I'm not sure how he did it through Excel, but it's oh, all through Excel. That's garbage. Jeez. Well done, Jeremy. <laughs> that's uh, yeah. That doesn't sound fun. Um, I mean, like if you see him using Linux now, you would think he'd been using it for a very long time. That's really because he's very, very uh, ex- uh, knowledgeable on it now. Um, but yeah, and when I came in during the summer, I wrote scripts that were um their purpose was sort of security stuff um updating virus definitions and whatnot um so just automate automation scripts and setting up the uh i don't know how much of this i could say like the bugle bone on board that controls everything yeah. um just talk about or just setting up uh all the programs that need to be on there um making sure it can communicate with everything else uh, I built a network here that simulated the International Space Station and a, the ground station for their, uh, what, I think that's the Johnson Space Center is what I was basically. Yeah, so I think it's actually all going to be run through Marshall, but I, it's okay. It's not that big of a deal. But um, yeah, based on whatever information I was given from NASA, I had to simulate the network that we would be on, uh, on the International Space Station to make sure we could still communicate with Hermes through all that, uh, what settings have to be there, what configurations, um, firewalls and whatnot. Um, and then as I, as Jeremy got better and better, I stepped, like kind of step away from the project more sure. and more. Um, Cause yeah, Jeremy picked that up fast, but uh, yeah, initially I was teaching him Linux stuff. Um, that's why I went on some of the first um, trips to NASA was when we were setting up, like, you know, they'd check security on how, how, how we have things configured. And since Jeremy didn't know that much on how to do it, uh, I went with them to test out scripts and make sure everything um, BeagleBone related worked properly. And uh, I think that trip was pretty good because like, everything did work properly there. Yeah, I know we made, I think, two trips down to JSL, and I don't remember which one. It was the first one I w- that I had went on that was the BeagleBone one. We had, we had one trip that started off really, really rough. And I don't remember what the problem was, but we were we were calling Mitch, who was one of the original five that worked on the project. Yeah, he was the original RTOS guy. Yes, and we had no idea what was going on. We sat there for two hours acting like we were doing stuff, and we really weren't doing anything because we didn't know what to do. And finally, Mitch called us back, figured out that it was some stupid... We had background stuff that we're supposed to be running this is not my expertise so sure if i say anything wrong here be feel free to fix me <laughs> but there were some background scripts that were supposed to be running and they just they've they had always worked before they'd always just started up and ran and mm-hmm. for some reason they just this is the first time they just hadn't ran and so we once we got them running everything worked fine but i don't know if that was the trip you went on but 
I don't think it was. It's not. No. Um, the one I went on was, um, I think, probably one of the last times you guys went to the actual um, JSL. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Yeah, JSL. Or yeah, Joint la- Station Land. Yeah, Joint Station Land. Is that what that would stand for? It's something like that. So it's actually JLS, not JLS. on Johnson Space Center campus. It's about 10 miles off campus. Hmm. It's where the... the neutral Buoyancy Lab the nu- is. Yeah, the NBL. Yeah. It's, which was really cool. We get to walk over that, get a free tour of the NBL. It's awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah, I went on that one. And the second one I went on, uh, we were on actual NASA's actual campus. Uh, I can't remember what you we, were doing. We there. were doing the noise testing. Oh, yeah, EMI testing, which EMI, was really yes. cool. Um, but I didn't do much that time. So, um, yeah, most of my stuff was software-related, not hardware-related, um, as much as I would have liked to work on that. But I came in far too late to be able to pick all that stuff up. Yeah. So, quick, quick, cool story about yeah. when we went to the NBL was, you know, they have the inter- they have the model of the ISS yeah. in the water. And, you know, there was... I don't know. I think it was a midweek day or something. They weren't giving public tours that day, or it might have been after hours or something. But I think you went before me on a different day, probably. Yeah. But there was no one. They weren't doing any testing in the water, because on that specific day they were doing spacewalks on the ISS. And when they do spacewalks on the ISS, they don't put anybody in the water. That way, if there's a problem in the spacewalk, they can immediately send people down. To simulate that problem and how to get out of that problem hmm. so it's pretty cool i mean it's kind of not cool because we didn't get to see anybody down there doing anything but it's cool to know why there was no one down there sure, doing anything. yeah do you want to talk for a minute about like you kind of touched on a little bit but like what you would what was the purpose of your trips to nasa during this project so there was a lot of different testing things that we have to go through to be able to fly to the iss and one of the main trips was one that Daniel went down. I don't think you were there the first day. You came like mid that yes. trip, right? So the first day, one of the big things we were doing was in rush current. So there's a SSPCM, which is just essentially the fuse that you're allotted to from the ISS. So in the U.S. labs, we get 28 volts DC. And this fuse, if you're pulling too much current for a long enough period of time, then you get cut off. And Hermes, the project I worked on, is actually the second thing that we've sent, missile has sent to the ISS. And the first one, they did not do this inrush current testing. And the first time they tried to power it on, nothing happened. Hmm. Because we didn't do the inrush current, and we flipped that SSPCM, and once that flips, you're toast. Like, you just can't get That power. was a Strata 1. That was Strata 1. And they had to completely reset everything and start it over. So we went through this inrush current, and it was, I don't remember the numbers, but I think we were allotted, like, 10 amps or something for, like, a short period of time. It's all, we were allotted, like, 10 amps for, like, a second, and then, like, 3 amps for the rest of the time, nominal See, and stuff. I remember, I remember, I thought I remembered something about, like, you guys, like, for a couple milliseconds, you can pull, like, 35 amps you guys were pulling as if i remember like 38 see i thought it was 48 was the number i remember where we were actually over it but we were in like it was we were pulling 48 amps for like three milliseconds and which is actually kind of fine right because then it's supposed to be like yeah after a very short period of time you have to have a stable current that's under that limit after at 
four milliseconds, we're pulling like less than an amp. Like it's just yeah. an extreme inrush current. And that's because we have two different DC to DC converters that converted that 28 volts down to 15 that our system uses. And so those things have some inrush current that they really pull. And it was just crazy seeing the machines that they had. I mean, it's an O-scope. It's essentially, it's a fancy O-scope they had that was like as big as a trailer. It was massive. And I mean, they were tracking this current like more specific than the millisecond. So wow. like microseconds, we, we could know what you were pulling at one microsecond, what you were pulling at two microseconds. Like it was insane, the, mis- the measuring tools that they had. That's really cool. Didn't you, I remember you talking about a, um, like an ohm, ohm meter they had that was like. Yes, it was, it looked like, I don't know what you call it. The you, defibula- defibrillator, that's exactly what I'm going to. for like a, yes. yeah. This kind of what this, I guess it's just a DMM was. It was massive and it had these long like two inch probes that had like a spring in them. They had to really push down and we had to be. The, we when we were doing this is when we were doing the EMI testing. Mm-hmm. We had to be our chassis had to be less than one milliohm, which is I mean theoretically you should never be greater than that if you have two metals touching. But it was like at one point I think we got like barely over it and we were like we had to like scruff something off so it was a we had to like sand it down a little bit so it was a cleaner right. contact to be we had to be below one milliohm. For, were, so this is just like. Put one contact on one side of the case, put the other contact on the opposite side of the case, and yeah, measure so was, less than a certain It was resistor. We were tying the, our chassis box to the chassis of the table that we were sitting on. It was a metal table. Yeah. And so, yeah, when we actually did it, I remember it was 4.5 micro-ohms is what we were at. Wow. Micro-ohms. And, uh, and they were measured, like, you, they were measuring 4.5 micro-ohms. It's not like it was like, wow. oh, you're in the micro-ohms. No, it was, you were specifically 4.5 <laughs> micro-ohms. Dang, that's cool. And I know uh, just a few days ago you mentioned how one, another one of the requirements was to be what, like one mega-ohm difference between ground and chassis? Yes, yeah, so that was, we have... It our, might be useful to explain that there's not like a ground going to, cha- like a chassis to ground kind of thing in, yeah, in I this mean, situation. Yeah, so on Earth you have ground, and that is physically what... The potential of the ground beneath your feet is and on the iss you don't have that so you have it's all dc yeah yes and so you have the potential of the international space station which they consider chassis and then they have their ground their electrical ground electrical right. ground which is different than chassis it is coming from their power supplies right and so yeah we have three different power lines coming to our system we have positive 28 volts they call 28 volts return, which is our ground, and then chassis. Very, they have to have specific names for everything. Whatever. <laughs> um, yes, and we were required to have, at the input where we plug our connector into the system, we had to have at least one mega ohm difference in between chassis and 28 volts return, or our ground. And that's basically just open yes so i mean it sounds hard to do but as long as nothing's touching you should be fine so we never had a problem with that that's cool just a lot of nylon standoffs (laughs) i think we only the only thing we use nylon standoffs are 
were for the beagle bone because the mounting oh. holes <laughs> for the beagle bone are ground on the beagle bone mm-hmm. and then yeah. you can't power that. So that was the only thing we had to use nylon for. Huh. So nothing nothing else had any grounded mounting holes. Yes, beagle bones, only thing. Um so I was gonna I was gonna ask, um so this thing has an internal network, like a like a computer internal network. Yep. Um, I know you have a story. Yes. So about the network. Yeah, I've got my notes here for this. So it's a it's a pretty long story, but it's got, it was really time. funny. It's funny because I was not the person <laughs> that it was doing anything bad here. Right. But um, and nothing really bad happened. But no one was doing anything bad intentionally. At no, least. no, no, no one was doing anything bad. Period. Yeah. Some people may disagree with that, but. It was just a a little mistake. So, the story is we're in Salt Lake City for ASWE. It's me and Jeremy, who was the Linux guy that we talked about earlier. And we were going through a five-hour presentation for NASA. So, it wasn't really us. It was the NASA engineers that we were working on were pitching this project. And they were going through. It was, I don't remember if it was their PDR or CDR, but it was... It was a serious thing. There were over 40 different engineers and scientists on this video call with us. It was was very full, and there were a lot of opinions about a lot of things. (laughs) And all of them had to approve of everything that we were doing. It was was a very serious presentation. And so we're in Salt Lake City. We're a long way from home in a hotel room just because we had finished presenting that morning. I think Dr. Morgan had presented that morning. We came back, and we're just chilling in the hotel room, waiting for our time. So, like, it's a five- to six-hour presentation. They were like, oh, you're going to present in between 10.30 and 1.30. We're like, seriously, like, we have 20 minutes of material to present. And so we were just sitting there doing absolutely nothing. It had been a long trip already. We had spent a lot of time awake in Salt Lake City. I was very dehydrated. We We'd, <laughs> yes, I'll leave it there. But Hint, um, hint taken. <laughs> um, so we're in this dark hotel room, curtains drawn, <laughs> door locked, everything's going on. So we had submitted our slides like a week before because they have the slides ended up being like 400 slides of this presentation. And we had like 10 of the 400 slides. And so we pre-approved them. They said everything's perfect everything's good to go and so we're going through it and i had already presented my hardware slides and we're going through talking about the network on the system and we flip to this ip slide that has all the ip addresses for everything in the system and all of a sudden and these are the actual ip addresses these are the actual ip addresses that we were using on the international space station these are nasa ip ground ip addresses everything the whole webex video conference just shuts down it's not technical difficulties someone hit close it's just gone and we're like what in the world is going on and like two minutes later it reopens again and the slide that we were on just gone nothing was said about it it wasn't like oh hey you're not allowed to have that in there it was just it was just gone we're all looking around like what in the world is going on? And we got a, like a text or something from our project manager. It was like, "Hey, sorry about that. You're not allowed to put. You're not allowed to put those IPs 
on like it's nothing we were using was classified it was sensitive information but apparently we can't use that on just an open internet connection so they really freaked out about that and jeremy's reaction was hilarious he's like because <laughs> he's the one that made this slide, yes right? he's the one who made the slides put everything up there i mean we submitted like he he was curious like he didn't know if that was going to be okay to do or not like he was kind of worried about it but we submitted them they approved it he's like okay i'm all good then the closing of the <laughs> thing deletion of the slide i jokingly was calling him snowden for <laughs> this is a this is a funny story is we're in a dark hotel room curtains drawn door locked and we're sharing sens- sensitive <laughs> government information apparently <laughs> was, sensitive yeah apparently i mean this is nothing important because all of them are protected stuff that there's no way like anybody's gonna get into any of that stuff but they they overreacted well those are hard private though. ips too right yeah they're private ips yeah so they're not even public ips yes. so they're internal to the network yes. anyway yes so i mean so- assuming someone got into the network now they have a map for well, how to get around okay. but um, if they're getting into the network you have other problems <laughs> it's not our fault <laughs> if they know the hermes ip address if they're already in there what are you gonna do move some entrapolators <laughs> exactly <laughs> that's funny yeah, yeah it was yeah, the, i mean the funniest part was that like nothing was said about it it was just like ignored like it didn't happen it was it was really weird we're just gonna pretend nothing happened something happened yeah. <laughs> um okay so now now let's get into the kind of fun stuff um because that wasn't fun <laughs> no. uh, um i know you have some stories about some um, troublesome people. Now, obviously, no names, no positions. Yes. Um, but Dustin has had some interesting experiences with people from NASA that maybe maybe will we'll jade some views on NASA a little bit. Yeah. Um, going into this project, I was all gung-ho. NASA's awesome. I mean, it's NASA. Yeah. Afterwards. Highly efficient government entity, right? Oh, not even close. <laughs> um, afterwards, I just, I don't know, kind of leaves a sour taste in my mouth i mean it's given me a great opportunity i mean not very many people can say that they're sending a system to the international space station and good resume fodder too yeah i mean i'm forever thankful for that like it was a great experience i would not trade it for the world that being said i there were two people in particular that i had just interesting experiences with first off one of them she was important in our project and i remember in the first ever meeting i had with her and she had just been promoted to this role and normally when you're promoted to this role you are paired with someone who's done the role before for your first project and they help you through it well her pairing partner was on maternity leave Hmm. so she was running solo her first time through we, it's rough. <laughs> yeah. First meeting. It's my first time to actually go down to uh, JSC. So, I mean, I'm very excited. We're about three hours deep into this meeting about the project. And having a very serious conversation about some of the stuff. And she just starts laughing. And we look over. And she's sitting there on her phone. Wow. And everybody just kind of stops. And she's like, Oh, sorry, someone sent me something funny and puts her phone down. And I was like, that was just, it was so unprofessional. Mm-hmm. It was very interesting. And she progressed a lot. 
she started off rough. She was trying to involve herself into stuff that she didn't know about. Like, I remember one time we were talking about putty mm-hmm. to SSH and the mm-hmm. Beagle Bone, and she just died laughing. She's <laughs> like, it's not actually called putty, right? And, like, we're having, like, a serious, like, networking conversation. And we're like, what? Like, yes, it's actually called putty. Like, that's not a joke. She thought we were joking around during the middle of this serious conversation claiming that it was called putty. But she did. She did. She improved a lot. I will say that. I think she'll be good in the future. The other person was brought in late in the project. So... The project started August of 2017. He was not brought in until July, June, late June, early July, 2018. The Mars, the Mars team, the Capstones team that done that had done the prototype, long gone. It's just us now. We had demo, we had demoed the final product for them already working system everything that you want works all the requirements are checked off everything's great six months later we were still making changes that he had brought on to improve the system that was already working perfectly improve with air quotes yes improve (laughs) unneeded changes that made the system very difficult and i know that that is personal you to matt because yes matt (laughs) had for our vacuum system we have to control valves and the original low side switchboard that we thought was going to work wasn't couldn't supply enough current for the oh well this is actually tears to it because the original valves that we had chosen worked with our original boards he made the change to go to the beefier valves, which means that our original boards didn't work. So we needed a new board to control the low side switches to the valves, to power the valves. Well, Matt Sego, our resident board layout designer, designed boards, put them in the system, worked great in the system, never had a problem. But they didn't have flyback diodes. Four months. <laughs> worked great. And then... At one point, he just wanted to change them. said, I found this. I was researching, and here's this other board that you all haven't used and have zero experience with. Put that in there instead. Like, okay. And let's not mention that to get these boards to fit in the box, I had to rip potentiometers off of it. <laughs> just rip them off because I couldn't get them to fix anyway. I couldn't get them to fit. And Luckily, I, think, I think it's worth noting how freaking tight this box is. Oh, it's... Like, it's insane that you were able to make any changes. Yes. Um, he made another change where the router that they couldn't measure the temperature on it had big heat sinks on it, and we had never seen temperature problems from it before. He wanted me to flip over inside the board or inside the box so that the heat sinks, the ends of the heat sink, could be mounted on the back plate of the box, which is a great idea. I mean, it will dissipate heat better. It will increase all of that. It'll make it better. I don't yeah, know why it's like increased. Yeah. yeah. But um, there was no need to do it. We had not seen any problems. We hadn't even gotten close to a danger range. 
and he was like just do it and when i have a board stacked on top of that and the router that i'm switching does not have symmetrical mounting holes mm. it's not an easy process to flip it around nope yeah so there were a lot of changes post demoing a functional system that were made that i can't explain so from the original final product how much do you think those changes improved the actual final product zero <laughs> that's it literally zero literally zero and Dustin and i had a somber moment he he let me keep the the one that would have gone yeah <laughs> the board i made i pulled out the flight unit that would have flown yeah. where is that it's it's a home i took it home um, so now I have now I have to laser etch something. <laughs> It'll say the board that would have been. Um, uh, yeah. So yeah, you've had you've had some you've had been kind of jaded to NASA then I, I presume. Yeah, I mean some other experience I had is just and I think it's getting better now. But I know the first few experiences I had is. Some of the people that I were working with, there was zero sense of urgency at NASA. It was, oh, we need to do something. Uh, we'll do it tomorrow or this afternoon or something. I mean, I almost every time we went down there, it was a hour and a half, two hour lunch break. Yeah, we're just sitting there, just not doing anything, mm -hmm. just talking, not working on anything. And I mean, that's just—it's the complete opposite of kind of what the experience we have here is when it's time to get stuff done, it's time to get stuff done. And I remember one of the first missile meetings I ever had when I was here, when I was still volunteering, is we were working on the TI robot. And we had like three days to get a functioning robot that we didn't have working. And we were going to go have a workshop building this robot for kids, and we didn't have a functioning robot. And Dr. Morgan was like, are you going to get this done? Because the other two people that were working on it were busy that day. So it was pretty much me and no one else to get this project done. And he was like, you don't plan on taking lunch today, right? And I was like, I have a Pop-Tart in my bag. And he <laughs> goes, sounds perfect. And I mean, that was that's realistic. I mean, when I've got to get stuff done, I mean, I there are many days where I don't take a lunch just because I'm working. And NASA never misses a lunch. Or in my experience, they don't. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I know during the government shutdown, y'all had nothing. Yeah, I mean... Like, which makes sense on some level, but at the same time, they were not motivated to get back. We were months away from launch and still had changes that needed to be implemented, changes that were made by other people and had to be implemented by us that we had questions and stuff to figure out what exactly they wanted, and we just, I mean, MIA... And I think that's part of the reason my capstone project is not a NASA project is because we couldn't get any during that yeah. time period. That's I think that's 100% why yeah. you're not a NASA project. So, yeah. Um, as kind of a sidebar, how many holes do you think you filed? <laughs> Cause, holes? Cause, I, can, I can probably count. Because Dustin, so these are like aluminum chassis. What's the plural for chassis? Chassis? I think it's just... Chat. I don't know. I what don't know. I was about to say chassis, but definitely <laughs> I don't not. think it's that. Um, so these are these are I don't know. They're not huge, but they're not tiny. And Dustin has hand drilled, filed all the holes, right? Yes. Yeah, so I'm trying to count up real quick. 
So I know there were 12 per CIS. And okay. there were four and that's C- the long skinny one, yeah, right? That's the long skinny one. There are four CISs. Um, and I'm trying to count how many I did on the HEV. I think I only did like four or five per HEB. So, and that's mm. another four boxes there. So, Because I remember there was a period of time where you could not come down to missile without Dustin being down here hunched over a trash can with the big metal box in one hand and the file in the other and just making as much noise as humanly possible. I, I will say that NASA made the decision to go from 16th inch aluminum, which was made in the prototype, to 8th inch aluminum. 8th inch of aluminum is a pain to file, especially with the files that we have in missile. Yeah, they're not great. They're, har- they're the Harbor Freight Special. Yes. There's some pr- pretty nice ones that have like really fine like, probably, teeth Probably because they haven't been touched yet. Yeah, like, I mean... This, yeah, this I was guy, looking at that one earlier. Great. Like, yeah, but I, it's, it's the majority a, of them are It's not. got a not Harbor Freight handle, yeah, so the, it's probably better. The yellow plastic <laughs> handles that half of them have broke off. Yeah. Um, do you have anything else on that you specifically wanted to touch on before I think of something else to ask? Huh? I think that's everything I have written down. So Yeah, he t- he had notes ready for us. I, this I guy was, was prepared. Yeah. So, I, I mean, we also really have some really, really cool experiences there. I mean, I didn't go on a lot of the trips, but, I mean, like when we went on to the um, – wherever they had the SpaceX capsules at, the Boeing capsule – um, a lot of the robotics. Yeah, so that was that was a cool day. Is yeah. um, we got to go down. It's I don't even know what they call that building. Yeah, it was, me like, neither. It was like building four or something. Hmm. I have to look that up because that it picture is, that that building is where a lot of photos are taken. It's just a huge warehouse essentially, basically. With yeah. if it's NASA robotics, it's down there, and yeah. it was really cool because the day we went would be the day that NASA announced the. The first crewed uh, mission for, or the the astronauts for the first SpaceX crewed mission. Yeah, so it was crewed missions that weren't going through NASA. Hmm. And private so, companies. Private companies, yes. SpaceX and And Boeing. so we're getting a private tour on the floor, sitting in rovers, stuff like that, getting pictures in rovers. And Daniel, that's like your profile pic now, right? Yes. It's and probably the best picture I have of myself and one of the only photos I have of myself <laughs> since I don't take a lot of photos of myself. It was really funny because you I mean you could watch the people on the catwalk, all the visitors that had paid like over a hundred dollars to come tour, and we're sitting here on sitting the in the yeah. rovers and hadn't paid a dime. <laughs> but um, we were walking through it. You paid in sweat. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no joke. Um, and there was it was kind of roped off, and we were like, "Why?" He was like, "Normally we can walk back here. I don't know why." And it was because the news was about to start they're about to start interviewing the astronauts and everything so hmm. they had blocked off so we could walk up straight up i think the dragon was the closest one to us right yeah that's the one i was able to like actually get a picture of but i yeah. could like over the dragon see like the boeing starliner yeah i mean we spacecraft. were 10 feet from the dragon capsule that they took pictures of inside of and did interviews inside of hmm. the astronauts so that's cool yeah. we were at that point in time, we were within a hundred feet of the astronauts, so That's I don't think cool. we actually got to see them, but they were, they were close. Yeah. That's super cool. And I mean, also, I guess um, the EMI testing I found especially well, interesting. Well, that's funny you say that because that is now my profile picture. It's yes. me in the EMI lab. So, oh yeah. Yeah. That's funny. Oh, I, I yeah, I know which one. The one with all about. the blue spikes and stuff yeah, on the walls. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's my that's my group me profile. Picture. <laughs> So, Dustin, 
Or are you going to work for NASA now? Um, <laughs> if they were to offer you a job. Probably not. I mean, I towards the end, it has gotten better. And I think it really does depend on the group because there's there's a group at Aries that we're working with on other projects that they're great. Just great people. They work hard. They want to get stuff done. And that's really what I'm looking for. If it was the option of work at NASA with the two people I've previously mentioned or not work at NASA at all, I would not work at NASA. I wouldn't. But Fair enough. I mean, I think it is very specific on the case. Sure. I mean, NASA is a big company, and you're going to work with a lot of different sure. people. So, Yeah. Um, why don't we take a minute and talk about um, – we work with a NASA contracting company a lot. And they do, that company does a lot of cool stuff for our department here as far as opportunities. Um, do you have anything you want to say about that, like um, kind of what their involvement is, um, what they do? So, I mean, the – I guess he's the owner operator or yeah, I guess of the company. I'm not I'm not sure his specific term, but he's he's one of our professors too. Yes, he's an adjunct professor in our department and he worked at NASA for a while and is retired from NASA and then started his own space company here in Bryan. As one does. Yes. I mean, <laughs> why not? And And apparently he was fairly well respected. Yes, I mean the, in the NASA. A cool story is one time we went out to dinner and we're just at this restaurant down by outside of JSC and this guy came up and was eating with us and afterwards like I kind of asked what his job was and he was like oh he was head of control room for a while wow so like you know you see the movies of dang the guy standing there in the Houston we have a problem room yeah and like he's the guy standing in the middle of the aisle in charge of people like that's cool. that was his job and i i just had dinner with him like it was no big deal it's pretty pretty crazy <laughs> and apparently he comes to campus a lot he's a oh really uh he tailgates with <laughs> of course he does <laughs> Professor Leonard, so. that's funny um yeah he does a lot of great opportunities i mean it's really amazing him giving undergrads the chance to send stuff to the iss send stuff to the space working on a project down here in missile right now that could be sending a rover to the moon mm-hmm. like Louis, yep. undergraduate students that he's giving the opportunity to do that it's it's really amazing and we have several projects per semester i think mine is the probably the first semester in a while to not have one and that's strictly because of the government shutdown yeah, this is strictly because of that um i know there are two teams in 420 right now that'll be well one of them will be from what I've heard, one of them will be graduating on time. <laughs> the other one... <laughs> maybe not so much. Maybe not so much. Um, but both of them are NASA contractor projects. Yes, they're, they've been on trips. I've been on trips with them down to JSL to have meetings with their their sponsor, or their customers mm-hmm. at NASA. So, and, and what are... So we've talked about Hermes going on ISS. What are some other examples of projects that people have done for that company? So... Um, the one team that is on pace to graduate on time is doing what they call helikite, which mm-hmm. is a interesting name, but it's what a helikite is is essentially a weather balloon with wings. So it's a stable, controllable weather balloon that they would like to put on a rover to map Mars and specifically the magnetic fields on Mars. If they want to do some other stuff. They want to do 
stereoscopic vision so they can really 3D map the surface and different things like that. And so the idea is to have it tethered to a rover and the rover would drive around getting close-up samples and their helikite system payload would be able to get broad pictures, magnetometer readings, different things like that on the surface of Mars. So That's, that's pretty cool. It's very exciting. Um, the other project they call the Dust Collector, which is a sim- essentially... <laughs> very creative name. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> I have it, one of those at home. <laughs> <laughs> it's a fancy Roomba. No. Um, <laughs> it's essentially just a big box. I think it's a 12U okay. is the payload size. And so what they'll do with that is, I'm not sure if they go up on a weather balloon or something, but they get it to high orbit, extremely high orbit. and um, High altitude. High altitude, yeah. Low orbit, yes. I guess that would be correct. Yeah, although I guess it's not in orbit. Yeah, it's edge of atmosphere. Yeah. Um, really high. Really, really high. <laughs> and um, they essentially open up. They have, like, wing net type things. And they just kind of spin around and collect dust and then crawl back up and come back home and bring it all home. Apparently, the astro-material scientists at NASA are interested in the dust up there. I mean... I I'm sorry, I missed it. Is that on Earth or on Mars? That's that's on Earth. So, okay. Yeah, that's... <laughs> the first project is for Mars. This one is for Earth. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yes. And we have... And then in here... Um, we do a lot of robotics platforming, mm-hmm. and one of them is specifically designed to, like, be a moon rover. Yeah, so that's Louie. That's the one. Well, I mean, even just disaster. Like well, yeah, disaster. The and concept. Well, it's the concept, and then we're actually now working on a actual project where... What's disaster meant to be? Disaster is like a little ASAP, right? Okay. So it's more as like a... As, it just seems to me like the articulation was adopted because it's so versatile. Well, so ASAP came first. So ASAP's the big one, and it was the one initially designed yeah. with the idea of, well, it kind of does all terrain pretty well, but you can go on the moon. Um, and then Disaster was developed, I assume, for the purposes of teaching. In fact, has teaching robot is the TR. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't remember what the DS stands for, dynamic something. Yeah, I think it's dynamic systems. I don't know. We make, we make up the names, the the... Uh, what the acronym stands for after we make up the acronym here. Yes. But uh, every time, every time. Our lab's called Missile. So, <laughs> um, but, uh, so yeah, so we do a, um, a lot. M-I-S-L. Yes, M-I-S-L. <laughs> um, and ironically, we're in a basement. Yes. <laughs> so I think at one point, Disaster was actually, that was the platform that they had planned to do the lunar rover with. Oh, okay. Just because of... I mean, we do have Reggie up there. It's small payload size. It's mm-hmm. light, easier to fly to the moon, and that was the idea. Yeah. I mean, it'd probably fit in a 20 by 20 by 20 cube or so. Yeah, I mean, so. minimal space, minimal weight, and could still travel over rough terrain if need be. Right. Um, however, with the stuff that we're trying to do and with the allotted space and weight we were giving we will be able to actually move back to ASAP and that's the platform we're basing our prototype for the lunar rover on. And Louie is, I don't know how much we're allowed to say about it, but it is beautiful. It is. Um, and the guy who initially made ASAP is also the one modeling the extra cool parts for Louie. Oh 
and it's just really cool. And he puts his name all over it, which is kind of funny. But yeah. like every every single part has his, at least his initials on it, if not his whole name. As we all would. <laughs> I mean, he's he's crazy. He's crazy in cab. I mean, there was the dude's insane. Yeah, he just we, uses Fusion three sixty too. Yeah. Not even like SolidWorks or anything. He just whips these amazingly intricate. We mentioned something models. to him one time, like some parts that we wanted, and what he came back with twelve hours later huh. was probably an average person's 30 to 40 hours of man tile huh. in fusion 360 modeling like none of us could believe how much he came out and it all i mean it's it's printed and put it on it works it fits perfectly everything's mm. perfect it's, i wish he'd it's record amazing. just a session of him he, he really he, should he should have a youtube channel yeah <laughs> just uh we're gonna build this today he's like animated stuff in there and all kinds of he knows yeah, how like, to, the like, louis rendering is beautiful he yeah. that's he did that in like a day. Of course, it he was did. insane. Of course, he did. And I mean, that's not his job. He's not getting paid for this. And he was a student in this department, correct? I believe so. I don't think he was ESET. I There's, assume he was MMET. Yeah, he had. If he was in this department, he had to be MMET or whatever it was called then. Yes. Um. Yeah. I but I guess he was in this lab. Well, wait. I guess he, we we used to have a token MMET guy for mm-hmm. every generation. Yes. So then you people came along, you MXET people. We're, take, um, we're taking over. You are. There's so few of us left. <laughs> we got we got outrun real quick. <laughs> yes, it was it was a quick transition. It was. It was very quick. Um, well, Doc, Dr. Morgan knows how to sell. Um, what else we got? Do you have anything else for uh, NASA stuff? No, not really. Um, I mean, it's a fun project. What did you learn about the International Space... How much mm. did you know about the International Space Station before you came into this project? Almost nothing. <laughs> you knew it existed. I knew it existed. You probably watched it fly over one time. Yeah. Yeah, I mean... Had you ever, have you ever seen it fly over? I've seen it flown over. I don't know if I'd actually ever seen it flown over before. I knew mm. that it did, and I knew that like, you could see it, but I don't think I'd ever taken the time. See, in, yeah, see in it. high school, it's the thing I tracked very closely, and I would like watch... They have a live stream that's mm-hmm. always running. It's, I haven't looked at it in a long not time. not surprising. Oh. You yeah, have that. you seen that? Yes. The live stream? No, yes, but I'm not surprised you tracked it. Oh, yeah, no, I, I did. So another cool story. Um, <clears throat> so the one day we went to the J, the MBL, they were doing spacewalks, and then the day that we were doing EMI testing, they were actually sending, I think it was actually one of the SpaceX was departing from the ISS. Yes. And so we were, the building that we're, we were in has a group that is in charge of Keeping helping track of like the object yes, like items helping towards. the astronauts find parts inside <laughs> of the ISS. And yeah. how they describe the ISS is you're you're a hands-on person that likes to do work and you are trapped inside of your garage for 6 months to do nothing but use your tools, work on things. You move out and someone moves into your garage and has to find where everything you put is. Hmm. You know where everything is, but they have no clue where anything is. And so they're working on a system to just kind of RFID everything to where they can be like, oh, where's this at? It's in this area. Really limit the time that they're spending to find things. That's fine. That's yeah, especially so, they spend... Uh, I, Apparently, they spent way too much time just looking for stuff versus actually using stuff. Yeah, That's and funny. it's cool. There's a book that they have oh, that yeah. is probably about a thousand pages 
of just things that are lost on ISS. Yeah. And there's things that are like human size boxes that they don't know. Like the ISS is not that big. Like how do you lose a box that big? I don't know. But um, so the people that work on that have a live feed of the audio of the astronauts. Hmm. And so this is one of the things that we weren't allowed to record or anything. But yeah, we could we could see them live stream, hear their live stream audio of them having conversations on the ISS. That was pretty yeah, cool. Yeah, that is pretty cool. That's funny though. We need to do that in this lab. Oh, it's a great <laughs> idea. Yeah, so I think they. I I feel like they were using not passive so actually RFIDs that had batteries simply for range, greater range, and they'd have what, like these little things around the ISS. Each um, uh, what do you call them? Like a because it's it's on, within each like entrance and oh, exit. Oh yeah, it's a it's it's like a scanner. I mean, I don't know what the proper term for it is. Yeah, but, but I mean, it's an RFID like a like a. Uh, beacon yeah beacon is probably a, yeah a and word. uh as things pass by it they can know oh this tool is now in this compo- this this module of the mm-hmm. international space station or, so and yeah that, it'd be pretty sweet to have them i mean that's in missile that was kind of the debate they were having is using passive id rfid or active rfid is yeah the active is going to give you a lot better resolution you're going to know within a foot of where this stuff is but you're gonna have to change batteries and yeah. Versus That's, passive, you just know it's in this yes. m- module you're, somewhere. You're within five feet of it and not a foot. So it's that's what they were debating on. They actually have this little robot thing that they were Astro calling Astro-B. That's exactly what it is. Yeah. And um, all it does is just float around the ISS and just scan for stuff to huh. update the tracking of where everything is. So yeah. that's his sole job is to look for things. That's actually something that's in de- development Yes. currently. Yeah. Yes. Because I just saw they had a competition going for who can design the best arm for that thing. Maybe it could be you. <laughs> uh, you maybe got I in should here that one to Herbert. <laughs> yeah, really. Um, well, why don't we, we have a few minutes left. Why don't we just touch on what other things um, do you do in this lab? Like, I know you're the, you're the lab manager, so you have some roles there, and then you've touched on some other projects. So what else have you done in here? Um, so it started with the TI robot that I mentioned earlier that I had to skip lunch for. <laughs> um, that was a really funny story of me not knowing any software. And we had this robot that took like a minute and a half to go 10 feet. Is a line following robot. Mm-hmm. And it was slow. I think at one point we measured that it was updating at three hertz. <laughs> wow. Not that's slow. Three kilohertz, three hertz. And it was slow. And Dr. Morgan had sent an email to us, and this is the day that I, I was the only one here. I hadn't written the code. I was just there looking at it. And he told us to strip it down, take states away from it, make it quick and dirty. And so I, being a young, <laughs> naive person, took the code made a new file, titled it Quick and Dirty. Not knowing that on the TI Inspire calculators, once you name a file something, you cannot rename it anything else. And of course my code worked, which <laughs> of course it did. Is kind of the bad part of the story. Because <laughs> then that became I was, the file. I was stuck with Quick and Dirty. <laughs> and this was, I mean, two or three days before we went down to TI in Sugarland to do this workshop and so 
the original patient zero code for this was titled quick and dirty and it's actually fun fact that is the calculator i use on a daily basis now <laughs> it's is still that code had, still on there it's code still on there and it still has velcro on the back of it of where we <laughs> mounted it to the robot that's so, excellent yes and then what else since um, then? other roles i mean about a month after that happened i was dedicated to hermes i started getting on a hermes i've worked on some other things uh different workshops and stuff that we've done in like the one in Salt Lake City, different things like that. Um, I mean, just the missile manager, I don't do a whole lot more than anybody else. doesn't come with a pay raise. <laughs> um, I mean, I run the missile meetings and just get to do things with Dr. Morgan whenever he goes on trips. I'm his personal chauffeur. <laughs> we, we joke that I have more miles on his truck than he does. So, <laughs> I honestly wouldn't be surprised. I, I, that man I, will let anyone drive his truck. Anyone. It's amazing, actually. Was, I would never trust anybody that It much. was like the second or third time I was driving it. We were going down to San Antonio, and they have that new tollway down to Skeen. We were going to South San Antonio. It was a quicker, quicker way to go. And I was like, oh, let's take this way, Dr. Morgan. Like, um, Speed limit's 85. You can really make up time down there. And he was like, no, I just got this truck, and I think it has a software governor at 80 on it. And I kind of got quiet, and I was like, Dr. Morgan, your truck doesn't have a governor at 80. He was like, it doesn't? You've broken 80 in my truck? (laughs) At this point, we're still not on the tollway. And I was like, Dr. Morgan, your truck doesn't have a software governor at 90 either. (laughs) 90? (laughs) Oh, yeah, that was... I had passed some people. We had gotten on a little two-lane road, and they were driving slow, and we had an open stretch. I passed somebody. I got his truck over 90. He was, <laughs> I was kind of freaked out, but he jokes now that he just, he says that I must have quicker reactions and better vision than him, which... Shocker. <laughs> I mean... He's not exactly a young man. No. He acts like he is. He, There's no doubt about yeah, that. that. That is the most energetic old guy I've I, ever I met. I mean, I got to watch him run across university yesterday. <laughs> Yesterday, I, that sticks in my mind when I, you guys were crossing university and the the light was about to change. Yep. And that man you, will run. You guys, you're like, hey, you want to you want to beat the light in his boots. You yep. guys just take off. Yep. I've never seen someone that age run like that. And we, I got to do it again yesterday. I, I mean, I and it doesn't wind him either. He's fine. Oh yeah, no, he's <laughs> he's he's it a wins wild me man. now. He's like a 72 year old man. Mm-hmm. Like he's fine. <laughs> Whatever. Right. He's funny, though. When I drive, he's also like, oh, yeah, I just, it makes me get work done because I don't like looking up and seeing how close you are to people. He's <laughs> like, I just, it makes me focus on my computer and get work done. So, <laughs> Whatever. All right. Well, I think that's about time. Um, thank you, Dustin, for uh, I'm, oh, coming on, doing a, little, doing a little interview, if you will. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it was really fun. Um, I think that's it. All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. All, all two of you. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>